BC shuts down mink farms. COVID-19 variants in mink pose a risk to human health. Why farmers couldn't stop the infections and what happens to their livelihoods now. Another vaccine option. But we'll certainly find uses of it, whether it's for healthcare workers or others. Why BC is adding the one-dose Johnson & Johnson shot and when you can get it. And Google's search for a sustainable builder. Uh, this is a cross-laminated timber panel. The BC company tapped to build the internet giant a revolutionary new headquarters. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Following a number of COVID-19 outbreaks tied to mink farms, the B.C. government is shutting down the entire industry province-wide. Mink farmers will have to cease operations completely by 2025, but as Richard Zussman reports, a major decrease in the mink population will take effect almost immediately. They are described as animals of concern. Mink farming continues to be a health hazard, in my opinion, and in the opinion of my public health colleagues. We don't see that assessment changing. So BC is changing its policy, putting in place a phased plan to close mink farms in the province. Breeding of mink in BC now permanently banned. Having all live mink on a farm will end in 2023, and all operations must cease completely, including disposing of furs, by 2025. The decision to phase out mink farms is based on these public health risks and is recommended to keep British Columbians safe. Three of BC's nine mink farms have had COVID-19 cases. In one case, the farm has not yet been cleared. There is worry COVID can pass from humans to mink and back to vaccinated humans. And the animals could lead to the virus changing. The risk that mutations of the, of the virus can lead to additional variants of concern. There are more than 300,000 mink right now in BC. The industry has been under strict protocols for months, including biosafety measures. They call the ban unfair. As an industry, we feel this decision is radical. It's unnecessary. The province will be supporting farmers and around 200 workers across BC. Our government will work with affected farmers and workers to help them pursue other farming businesses or job opportunities that support their families. We're very specialized at what we do. It, these folks have been working at this for many generations. They're professionals. Um, it's like saying that a nurse could just uh, overnight become a teacher. Um, in my opinion, it's ridiculous. The BCSBC has been advocating for an end to the industry for years, but not due to COVID. Instead, focused on what they describe as animal cruelty. And I've been working in animal welfare for over 20 years now, and this is the worst thing I've ever seen. So these are taking animals that are wild in nature and putting them into confined cages. We actually have the strongest, most robust animal welfare program in the world. They are hoping the province will extend the ban to chinchillas and foxes, but the province won't look at that now, insisting this measure is about health threats to humans and not about cruelty to animals. Richard Lustman, Global News, Victoria. 
Well, a bit of a better day when it comes to the COVID-19 numbers in our province. We have 549 new cases, 4,483 active cases. 441 people are in hospital. 129 of those patients are in ICU. One more person has died of complications of the virus. And 85.7% of eligible British Columbians aged 12 and older are now fully vaccinated. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on COVID in BC. Some good news. Keith, that BC is ready to roll out another vaccine. Yeah, better late than never, I suppose. So eight months ago, Johnson & Johnson was approved for use in this uh, this country, but we haven't had any Johnson & Johnson shipped to us. Uh, that's going to change imminently, according to Dr. Theresa Tam, the, the federal public, uh, chief public health officer, expecting 300 doses to arrive soon. BC's hoping for about 50,000 doses. But where, uh, where Johnson & Johnson is going is going to change because of circumstances. Here's Health Minister Adrian Dix. We felt initially that for people, because of the one-shot nature of the Johnson & Johnson course, that it would be good, for example, for people who are, who are going to remote locations and other, and other issues such as that. But we'll certainly find uses of it, whether it's for healthcare workers or others, and uh, we're uh, happy it's coming. All right, uh, the vaccine mandates in BC, Keith, uh, may be expanding in the days to come. Yes, one in particular, I keep reporting uh, for some time now, the mandates are getting larger in scope and wider, and they're not shrinking. So the next one to expand is the healthcare sector. Uh, it's actually in the public health order where health professionals such as family doctors and dentists and pharmacists are told to take notice that they will be covered by the mandate uh, at a time specified by Dr. Bonnie Henry. Adrian Dix re uh, revealing today that the various professions, colleges are working their way through to make that order posted. This is critical for the provision of healthcare services. I think it's as important for family doctors and for dentists and for people working in the community to be vaccinated. The vast majority of them are, I think, and, uh, of doctors, 98, 99%. Um, but you'll expect that uh, very soon. That work is being done and being done through the colleges. So this will be a condition of license for people. So it's not a question of if they're going to be included. It's a question of when. I'm told it will come as early as next week. And it's not all going to happen at once. It's going to be occupation by occupation. Look for family doctors to go first. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Two independent schools in the interior have been shut down because of COVID-19 outbreaks. Vernon Christian School closed on Thursday because of a number of cases and close contacts within the school. The closure was recommended by Interior Health and the school is expected to reopen on November 18th. The King's Christian School in Salmon Arm has also been closed due to an outbreak. Both schools are independent from their respective school districts. Now, while Canada's top doctor, Theresa Tam, says the country is now bending the curve on the fourth wave, children under the age of 12 are leading COVID-19 infections. While we are therefore continuing to see positive signs, resurgence is still possible. The blue line trajectory shows that at a national level, cases could begin to rise again if the transmission increased by just 15% from current levels. Dr. Tam says Canada could still see some bumps in trajectory over the next few months. Some provinces, including Alberta and Saskatchewan, are lagging behind the rest of the country. That has prolonged the heavy strain on the national health care system and critical care capacity. Although we are cautiously optimistic about our longer-range trajectory, it is still too soon to fully ease public health measures. If we were to do so, we could expect to see a rapid rise in cases.
Now's not the time to let our guard down. We may still be in for a challenging winter. Children 11 and under represent more than 20% of cases daily, and yet they are only about 12% of the Canadian population. Tam says it will still be several weeks before a pediatric vaccine is fully reviewed. Pfizer is putting forward its antiviral pill for COVID-19. The drug maker says the experimental medication cut rates of hospitalization and death by nearly 90% in high-risk adults. Their competitor, Merck, already has a COVID-19 pill under review at the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and has already been approved for use in the U.K. Pfizer says it will ask the FDA and international regulators to authorize its pill as soon as possible. Right now, all COVID-19 treatments used in the U.S. and Canada require either an IV or an injection. The B.C. Coroner Service is investigating the death of well-known COVID denier Mac Parhar. He died Thursday at his home in New Westminster. At rallies and on social media, Parhar was outspoken, sharing his views on COVID-19, masks, freedom, and that the earth is flat. And as Jordan Armstrong reports, Parhar epitomized a conspiracy theorist. Take the mask off, please. The voice of Mac Parhar has gone silent. Silenced by what is uncertain. The coroner is investigating. What's clear is that Parhar was sick. In a recent live-streamed video, he described being fatigued and having chills, but refused to believe it might be COVID. Two nights ago, I kept waking up in the middle of the night with the sweat, like drenched in my sweat. In another video, just hours before he died, Parhar said he'd taken ivermectin, an anti-parasite drug widely touted in the anti-vaccine world, but which Canadian and U.S. health officials have warned against using. So I did take that and I do feel like 40% better. The new Westminster man was in the midst of a trial on charges of violating Canada's Quarantine Act. He had openly refused to self-isolate upon returning from a flat earth conference in the U.S. last year. In March of last year, Delta cancelled the business license for Parhar's hot yoga studio after he falsely claimed the heat would kill trying to see where I should go. And then there was his rogue videography at Royal Columbian Hospital, where he was apparently trying to demonstrate that the pandemic is a hoax. The internet was probably the greatest gift uh, to, to conspiratorial movements. Dr. Edwin Hodge is a research fellow at the University of Victoria and a lecturer in the Department of Sociology. It provides them with a way of both distrusting authority and becoming authorities. Parhar did have a bit of a following, and now some have taken to his Facebook page to mourn his death and point out he leaves behind a wife and daughter. So many naked faces to see people standing up to the tyranny. Yeah, we're winning. It's too early to know whether the 48-year-old's passing could yield some hard truths for the so-called truthers. The coroner's investigation could take months. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. A new survey shows most British Columbians are in favor of establishing a safe supply for drug users, but aren't so sure yet about decriminalization. As Aaron MacArthur reports, more people are becoming aware of how serious the problem is, but opinions differ greatly on how to fix it. It's been almost six years since the province declared a public health emergency. Hundreds of millions of dollars have been spent 
a ministry was created specifically to help people battling addictions. And yet people in BC are no better off. It's gone from absolute defeat to debacle. Six people a day are dying from the poisoned drug supply. And new polling data suggests Canadians have had enough. 58% of British Columbians say opioids are a concern. But what to do about the current situation has left most people conflicted. While 63% of those asked support safer supply, just 33% would support decriminalization of drugs. Harm reduction advocates say we need both. Putting people or substance users in prison for drugs does absolutely nothing. And then after you're released with a welfare check at a bus stop, homeless, and back through the revolving door. What a majority of British Columbians support are treatment options. 78% would like to see more rehab spaces. And nearly three quarters asked want to see the medical community prescribe fewer opioids. The stories are getting closer to home. And this is one of the reasons for Canadians to be dismayed that the way politicians are dealing with this. Uh, nobody gets a higher number than 40% when it comes to their handling of this crisis, which is unfathomable. BC has asked for an exemption to the federal government to allow people to carry small amounts of drugs without risk of punishment. A good start, but maybe not enough to prevent people from dying. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Major parties on the UVic campus are causing a lot of concern about the risk of COVID. Never mind how disruptive it is for the students who want to study. What Saanich police are doing about it next on the News Hour. The BC company helping build Google's new California headquarters and why its construction materials are better for the planet. And a cautionary tale how a good girl from a good home left it all behind to feed her addiction and how she got her life back. That's later. Right now, though, the University of Victoria and Saanich police say weekend partiers on the university's campus, most of whom are not UVic students, are getting out of control. And that's forcing them to take unprecedented measures to try to stop the chaos. Kylie Stanton reports. That's insane. The videos have made the rounds, but the shock has yet to wear off. Any safety concerns with fireworks just being launched into crowds of university students? A couple. Several versions have been shared internally on social media channels and group chats, showing a massive crowd of nearly 1,000 gathering on campus at the University of Victoria last weekend, a Halloween celebration that quickly went off the rails. On top of the fireworks, officers in a police car were surrounded by a mob, while several intoxicated, underaged youth required medical attention. I want to know how that didn't get shut down immediately. Now, Saanich Police is working with the university to step up enforcement. Starting Friday, roadblocks will be set up near campus to prevent drinking and driving. There will also be an increased presence on university grounds near the residence precinct. We're going to just focus on deterrence uh, this weekend and going forward, and we hope that that is the solution to this problem. According to police, the vast majority of those gathering are high school students, and it's been going on virtually every weekend since early September. Anyone that is found uh, not to be uh, authorized a student of the university uh, will be uh, asked to leave the campus. In a statement, the university said it is not taking these steps lightly, but they are necessary to address a dangerous trend that is putting people at risk. But some students say it's long overdue. I am in no way shocked. 
Eleanor Vannon says she's been voicing her concerns to administration since the beginning of the semester and claims the partying has been tolerated, leaving her to feel unsafe on campus. It's getting in the way of my learning um, and, and I understand that young people want to have a good time. You don't need a thousand person party to do that. If enforcement goes as planned, this will be the last of the videos. And one thing's for sure, these partiers will have gone out with a bang. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Just ahead, bad judgment leads to punishments. These officers should definitely receive some type of sensitivity training. The man who recorded officers posing in front of a dead body how the officers have been disciplined. And big developments in the Rogers family spat. How cable mogul Edward Rogers took on his own family for control of the company and won. Good evening. Still some delays over here for traffic on the Alex Fraser Bridge, but the most congestion is still on the east-west connector eastbound between 9th and the S-curve. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for... Memorial Hospital. When you choose Kermat Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Ridge. Well, two Vancouver police officers who posed with a dead body are being disciplined for discreditable conduct. As Catherine Urquhart reports, the punishment follows an investigation by the Office of the Police Complaints Commissioner. A warning, some of the images in this story may be disturbing. It was back in February when a Vancouver police officer was seen posing with a body discovered on Third Beach. Is that a person? Another officer recorded him, much to the disbelief of witness Zach Ratcliffe. That's what initially got my attention was seeing these guys laughing and kind of joking about it and seeing the body right there. Now Global News has learned that the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner has deemed the conduct of both officers constituted discreditable conduct. Sources have told Global News that both officers received significant suspensions amounting to several days of docked pay. I think it's a satisfactory uh, outcome. Um, it shows that the police uh, you know, disown this type of behavior. Uh, you know, it, it was just an absolutely surprising thing to witness. In an email, the VPD would only say, the two members have received and served the discipline handed down by the OPCC. These officers should definitely receive some type of sensitivity training. It remains unclear if either of the officers involved ever did receive any type of sensitivity training. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Surrey RCMP have arrested a man in relation to a shooting in the Newton area six weeks ago. It happened in the 8800 block of 140 B Street. Two men were injured. Police have arrested 42-year-old Travis Bocock. He's facing six charges, including attempted murder and aggravated assault. He was actually arrested October 13th in Surrey for possession of a loaded firearm. And now police are trying to retrace his steps before the September 23rd shooting. Well, the fate of a multi-billion dollar company was decided in a Vancouver courtroom today. The Rogers family, controlling shareholders of Rogers Communication, are at war with themselves over control of the company. You'd be hard-pressed to find any British Columbian who isn't familiar with Rogers. 
a legacy Canadian media empire that's been at the forefront of communications technology for decades. We've seen family businesses run into issues, but certainly not at this scale and certainly not a business that's that's worth many billions of dollars. So the Rogers family descent into open bickering and now litigation is the most astonishing Canadian business story of the year. On Friday, Edward Rogers prevailed over his mother and sisters when Supreme Court Justice Shelley Fitzpatrick ruled that corporate law in B.C. means his control of the family trust gives him control of the company's board. While that was a moment of clarity that the markets had hoped for, it's likely short-lived, as lawyers for the mother and sisters said they're going to appeal next week. It's a big disappointment to the capital market in Canada and also to Rogers and uh, Shaw's shareholders in general. So the stakes couldn't be higher. Rogers is trying to close one of the biggest deals in its history, the multi-billion dollar merger with Shaw Communications. But also on the line is the family's prestige. Decades of successful and scandal-free management have placed them among Canada's business establishment. So the recent litany of pocket dials and angry tweets has some wondering whether they're watching the company Ted Rogers built. Everything I've done in my life, I've done for my children. Or the hit TV show Succession. Even with all of this legal and corporate maneuvering going on, some observers are pointing out that this is still essentially a family affair. Don't rule out that this gets settled in some kitchen conversation somewhere. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. And Martha Rogers voicing her disappointment with today's ruling on Twitter, saying it represents a black eye for good governance and shareholder rights and sets a dangerous new precedent for Canada's capital markets by allowing the independent directors of a public company to be removed with the stroke of a pen. Just ahead, a journey back to health. High school years came around and I started doing hard drugs at 13. How so she left a loving home just... to feed her addiction and how she finally got clean later. And a brand new attraction in Chinatown helping set the record straight. Watch the Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series every Saturday and Sunday in partnership with Fortis BC. That's energy at work. Traffic is still busy in both directions over here at the Massey Tunnel this evening. Still seeing delays from Highway 17A northbound and from Steveston Highway south. Planning a trip with BCAA Travel Insurance? You get free COVID-19 medical coverage and worldwide virtual care from BC's top choice. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. An historic day today in Vancouver's Chinatown. After years of planning, it was the grand opening of the Chinatown Storytelling Center. It's the first permanent cultural space of its kind in Canada to feature the 153-year history of Chinese-Canadians' contributions to building our province and country. It also touches on the struggles and racism that Chinese-Canadians have faced over the years, not just during the pandemic. There are large parts of our history that remain unrecognized, unknown. The fact is that you cannot fix what you cannot own or acknowledge. That is why it is so vital that the story of Chinese Canadians is told, acknowledged and most importantly, remembered. 
London Drug CEO Brant Louis' grandfather started his first grocery store in Chinatown back in 1903. The Chinatown Storytelling Center will feature more than 150 stories of early Chinese immigrants whose resilience helped shape Chinatown, our province, and the country. Well, the staggering numbers of British Columbians impacted by the opioid crisis are well documented, but everyone's story is different. Our Rumina Dea sat down with one survivor to hear her thoughts on what needs to happen to help those caught in the grips of addiction. Five, six, seven, eight, one. A two. deep fire for fitness and yoga. Let's get that heart rate up. Instructor Victoria Hurd is living her wildest dream. I'm grateful that I have that strength within to fight and to continue to fight for my life. It's a big deal. Yeah. Where you're at. Yeah. Ten, don't give up. Ten. A big deal because this was Victoria's life before. I started using crystal meth at 13. No trauma, no abuse. The North Vancouver teen just wanted her freedom. I chose to leave a loving home, to drop out of school and live on the streets of downtown Vancouver. Living in SROs, stealing, panhandling, anything for the next high. My parents put me into treatment when I was 17, which cost them close to $30,000. But Victoria slipped back into chaos, this time with a newborn baby girl. When she was eight months, I relapsed and signed her over to my parents and was out in Vancouver, living in my car, doing drugs all day, every day. After years of overdoses and near-death experiences, at the age of 32, an epiphany, September 15th, 2019. This last time I got clean on my own, detoxed on my own, and I've been clean ever since. Safe supply crucial to saving lives, says Victoria. But then what? I wish that there was like a plan. <laughs> clean drugs, free drugs, clean needles, free naloxone. Despite it all, the overdose body count continues to rise. <laughs> Roughly eight dead since the province declared an opioid crisis six years ago. The biggest obstacle, in Victoria's opinion, the gap between detox and treatment. The wait lists are so long. Then there isn't a transition. So you get into detox. You have that drive and that will. You want to get clean. You want to change your life. But then possibly there isn't a bed available and you have nowhere to go. With more than two years clean, Victoria is now razor-focused on owning her own fitness studio one day, being a mom, and giving back. Namaste. Everyone that's out there that's struggling with addiction. Deserves a life. Romina Dea, Global News. That is a win. Still ahead, mass timber and the future of construction. What we're seeing now is an emerging industry. The big time contract Google just signed with a BC company and how it could help preserve BC's old growth forests. And in sports, why the Whitecaps need to do anything but lose this weekend. Take a moment to reflect. BC remembers. Live on Global BC and BC One. Thursday, November 11th.
This program is brought to you by the Royal Canadian Legion to honor Canada's veterans. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A reminder, we've got to change the clocks this weekend. And just ahead of this weekend's time change, officers and ICBC road safety coordinators are shining a light on pedestrian safety. Crews were handing out free reflectors at places like Vancouver's Joyce SkyTrain station this morning. Teams pointing out that with the end of daylight saving time this weekend, it will be darker on your evening commute, further reducing visibility on the roads. We're also urging pedestrians and drivers to stay safe as 44% of all crashes involving pedestrians happen between October and January. What we're trying to do is just to help people increase visibility. It might be bright here at the transit station, but a couple of blocks from here, it's a bit darker, right? So just if the car headlights will shine on that, it'll pick up the reflector. We're also targeting drivers. Drivers, the big things are failing to yield to pedestrians around intersections, as well as distracted driving. Cyclists too. Don't wear black. I see way too many people yeah, on bikes. Put, put a light or reflectors on your bikes. <laughs> For sure. Also, turn on your headlights, in, even in the daytime, especially when it's raining out. Or you'll get Christy Gordon yelling at you, that's for sure. <laughs> am i always reminding people about that yes it is a thing for me turn on your windshield wipers turn on your lights at the same time do it all the time all right uh, good evening you two and uh, to everyone at home happy friday to you i don't know if you felt the chill in the air but it is a lot cooler out here and the freezing levels have dropped we saw some snow on the local mountains today not a lot but a little bit but we're going to see more tonight here's a look at the system that's driving in so today we saw some breaks some uh, lightning strikes on the west coast of Vancouver Island. But what we're watching is this next system, which also has some embedded thunderstorms in it. So we're going to see that rain push in overnight. We'll see that through the morning as well. And that's going to bring snow to the mountain passes. Oh, it's hard to see in this image here, but believe it or not, there is snow on the sides of the roads there. We're expecting snow to develop in those regions overnight. There's that push of moisture. That includes the Whistler region. So if you're driving up towards there, slushy, wet snow expected on the Sea to Sky Highway. Great news for the local mountains with potential dusting there and certainly anywhere east of Hope. So here's a look at how much we're expecting. So tonight, just wet snow, meaning that there won't be much accumulation, but still very slippery conditions in the sea to sky, and that would be into tomorrow morning as well. Coquihalla, Rogers Pass, and the connector. So all of the interior regions, the majority of the snowfall you see here is during the day tomorrow. So drivers beware, that, or travelers beware, that's for sure. And uh, it will be nice to see a little dusting of snow on the local mountains. Far northern regions, we're expecting snow in Fort Nelson and the potential for some wet snow in Kamloops and Kelowna overnight and through the morning hours, but it will transition to showers. A high of only seven degrees for Metro Vancouver tomorrow is definitely going to feel chilly. So any of the outdoor uh, athletes, little kids, make sure they're bundled up trying to stay dry as well uh, because we're not going to see heavy rain, but certainly light rain will continue likely through much of the day Saturday and into Sunday. Also changing our clocks back and we get an hour of sleep on Sunday and yes, the rainfall continues into next week. I can't believe it. No real break in sight. Tonight's central windows weather window is still from last night. We're getting so, so many emails. Uh, Tony Dives sent us this one. I thought it was really quite magical, so I wanted to use this one again. A double rainbow. And by the way, just have a quick look. The second rainbow there, the colors are always flipped and the reason for that is is that it actually refracts or reflects off of the raindrop twice. That's why you get two rainbows and then the colors are flipped. 
Do you get extra pots of gold? There's like four Ooh, pots of gold I don't know in that, that photo. I know it. It's a beautiful <laughs> shot. Thanks, Tony. Thank you, Christy. I've always got an angle, right? Yeah. <laughs> Looking what for the pot of gold. What can we get out of this? A Vancouver company that specializes in designing large wood buildings has landed a high-profile job with one of the world's biggest companies. That's right. Google Michael Green Architects, and you'll see they're part of a revolutionary construction sector that could give new hope to B.C.'s battered forest industry. Paul Johnson shows us how. Uh, this is a cross-laminated timber panel. Vancouver architect Natalie Taliak with some of the materials for her latest projects. Could these also be some of the building blocks of the future of BC's forest industries? What we're seeing now is an emerging and uh, industry. Well, BC's forest sector recently has been gripped with the familiar dilemma of preserving old growth versus jobs. The people at Michael Green Architecture appear on the forefront of a new movement in construction, mass timber buildings. BC is really uh, on the west coast uh, of North America, really are um, on the forefront of these innovations. Compared with traditional big buildings made out of concrete and steel, mass timber construction generates far less carbon. It's often more pleasing to look at and the composite wood products that enable multi-story construction can be made right here in B.C., providing value-added jobs without a single old-growth tree being cut down. One of the biggest reasons why we're seeing this, um, this real um, kind of revolution in our industry is continuously striving to find low-carbon building solutions. And if that sounds impressive to you, you're not alone. Teliac's latest project is the new Google headquarters in Silicon Valley, a five-story timber structure made with B.C. know-how and B.C. wood products, scheduled for completion next year with an iconic firm like Google tapping B.C.'s mass timber construction sector, we may have a glimpse of the future. NBC were really poised to continue that innovation, to continue the opportunity to revolutionize how we build our buildings. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Good for them. Pretty cool. Big contract. Mm-hmm. All right, Squire is here now uh, talking about the Whitecaps' fortunes, or hopefully. Remember the other day when I put my jacket on, my poppy flew off and I came running down here? Yeah. See what Jeff made? <laughs> We all have them. I know. No. But I somehow think it's actually really directed pointed at you. me after what happened the other day. Dear Squire. Uh, the uh, Whitecaps need just a tie against Seattle on Sunday to make the playoffs, but Vanny Sartini says aim higher. The only way to make a point is try to win. The only way to arrive to the skies is to look at the sun. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Uh, it's obviously the biggest game of the year, but the biggest crowd of the year We'll preview it coming up. Also, a Seinfeld sighting on satellite debris. But I don't want to be a Lego. Was it Joe Namath, or who was it that said, just win, baby? That was Al Davis, the guy who ran the Raiders. Al Davis, who ran the Raiders. Yes. 
He also had commitment to excellence written on the wall. That's right. And that and I guess that applies to the Whitecaps this weekend, doesn't it? Yes, that would. Well, they could actually just tie, baby. And they'd still <laughs> it's not the same, in. is it? No, it doesn't sound. <laughs> Ted Lasso doesn't believe in ties either. Really? Well, that's true. <laughs> uh, OK, so before we get to the Whitecaps tonight, Canucks and Predators at Rogers Arena. No such thing as a tie in hockey anymore. Uh, Nashville has been OK this year. They're a 500 team. They've won four of their last five. Port Moody's Ryan Johansson is off to a pretty good start for them. Four goals in ten games. The uh, Canucks, of course, are coming off that comeback win against the Rangers, which was their first win on this homestand. Now, that win didn't just release tension amongst Canuck fans. It did so with the team as well. It got them in a better headspace this week, according to uh, Jason Dickinson. If that one slips away from us, it's, it sets us up for a very quiet and... Uh, frustrated room that could easily get discouraged and uh, yeah the momentum is is huge it it flowed into uh, two really good practices Uh, yesterday I thought we were really crisp and really uh, really good with our pace and then again this morning uh, same thing I I think it has carried over even if it is uh, two three days technically from the game um, it's still going to carry over Carey Price is returning to work with the Montreal Canadiens on Monday, but the Habs don't know when he'll be able to play goal for them again. In fact, he might actually play a couple of games in the minors to get back into shape. Price has been in the NHL's player assistance program for the past 30 days. He has yet to speak to Canadiens head coach Dominique Ducharme. Well, there are a number of ways the Vancouver Whitecaps can make the playoffs. They can actually make the playoffs even if they lose and other things happen. But the most direct way is to win or tie Seattle this Sunday at BC Place in the final game of the regular season. Now, we've been telling you for a while now that the Whitecaps have been, and this isn't just saying it, the statistics prove us out, they've been one of the best teams in MLS since mid-July. But the Seattle Sounders are first in the West. They need to win this game to guarantee first place in the West going into the playoffs. So, the Caps not only have to overcome Seattle, but they probably have to overcome some nerves as well. Goal, cutting it back for White! It's another one! Unbelievable. Three and a half months ago when they were in last place in the West, not many Whitecaps players or their fans could have imagined they could clinch a playoff spot with just a draw in their regular season finale. But thanks to a fantastic run of 10 wins, 9 draws, and just 2 losses in that 21-game stretch, the Whitecaps control their own destiny. We don't depend on anyone else than us. So it's a beautiful thing to go uh, Sunday and know that if we do a result, uh, the other team can do whatever they want. But we're the truth is we only need a point, but it'd be dangerous to go into the game and think, um, just sit back and defend. Um, so, you know, at times we're going to need to take the game to them and, um, you know, for a positive result, we're going to have to go forward. We're going to have to believe in ourselves. Seattle did hand the Whitecaps their last loss about four weeks ago, but the Caps feel one advantage they have at this time of year is their depth. While many teams are feeling the fatigue, the Caps have used their entire roster all along. We can make four or five subs without losing any, any quality, you know, and that's, that's also a strength and a big quality of the team. I told the guys, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, I'm happy, but I'm not happy because you, you put me in trouble. Because now I need to think about who's going to be the best 11 for, for next Sunday because everyone is good, to be honest. It's all on the line Sunday. They've come this far, and they're not about to come up short. I'm only focused on going into the playoff and 
and, and get drunk Sunday night when I'm going when we are in the playoff. <laughs> Look at this. Tim Hortons Field is the only place with lights on. All the other houses, no lights. That is odd. That is That's odd. Must be power like some sort of power outage. Nicholas Vogel, the third guy to kick field goals for the Lions this year. He makes one. Remember when the Lions field goal kickers used to last for decades, like Louis Pasaglia? Paul McCallum was another one who lasted a long time. Michael Riley, no, 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 no. Picked off by Desmond Lawrence. Lions had a bit of a rough first half. Uh, Brandon Banks hasn't scored a touchdown this year, but now he does. He gets one here over two Lions defenders, so that makes it 15-3 for the Tie Cats. Riley, though, a bit of a rally here in the second half. Runs for a first down. This is on a TD drive. It ends with the uh, James Butler eight-yard touchdown run. Gets the Lions a little closer, although they did miss the convert, 18-9. But then Hamilton went down and scored. Uh, Sean, hey, 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 he's your own guy. Sean Thomas Erlington with the short run here. At last check, in the fourth quarter, BC is down by eight, 26-18. Maybe there's a miracle in them. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. is now a man without a team after being released by Cleveland, but he can't be claimed on waivers by anybody until next week. Ian Brown's quarterback, Baker Mayfield, weren't connecting anymore. In fact, Beckham's father recently put out videos showing Mayfield not throwing the Beckham when he was wide open. There are a number of teams who will be interested in OBJ. He will be playing somewhere again this season. And if you're wondering, the Seahawks run a bye this week. That's why we haven't talked much about Seattle. It's been quiet. There you go. Quiet down I five. Okay, thanks, Squire. Satellite debris is next. Stick around. It's that time of year again, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's the time of week. Christmas well, commercials. Oh, those too, yes. Well, it is also the time of week. Yes. Well, November is actually when the Christmas commercials start to come out, in, especially in England but, mm -hmm. and the UK, but also all over Europe. And we'll start in Netherlands or Holland, if you like, with, I guess this is a Christmas commercial. Here we go. <laughs> Perfecte Sinterklaas cadeau. Zet hem op de verlanglijstposter en die scant de Sint met de app van bol.com. De winkel van blije snoetjes bezorgen. Don't feel sorry. Sentimental. Don't feel sorry for the soccer ball. It is in fact a soccer ball. It wants to be kicked. Oh, It wants true. to be outside. Okay. Okay. So uh, the entire Seinfeld catalog has now been purchased by Netflix. So Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David are even richer. And here's an ad promoting it. Uh, which includes Lego and um, Brian Cranston. Here we go. 
this fall to Netflix, Seinfeld. It's must-see TV like you've never seen it before. Inspired by the wildly popular Lego set model. It's Lego Seinfeld. He's blocky. He's stoppy. He's one half real organic matter. He has sea hands. And he's every bit as funny as his human counterpart. I am the human counterpart. They shrunk me down. Quiet. I guess I'll have cereal. His milk never spoils. His pan's clean in one wipe. I, I don't know what this is. What are we selling here? Oh, sorry, Jerry. You have no say. We bought and we can do whatever we want with it. And you. But I don't want to be a Lego. I'm working for at this point. Hello? Hello? This phone is not real. Lego Putty sold separately. Yeah, that's right. Lego Watley not available. Yeah. What happened to Watley? He did like five episodes. Six. I don't know how this happened, but I am not a toy. All 180 episodes only on Netflix. It reminds me of a few silly Jerry. <laughs> Lego Putty was the best part of that whole. <laughs> Lego Putty was pretty good. Okay, uh, last one. It's uh, it's an oldie but a goodie featuring MC Hammer, Cheetos popcorn. Here we go. Cheetos has popcorn now. Hey, I'm gonna need you to. Never mind. You can't touch this. Help. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. I trust you. Stop. Hammer time. I touched it. New Cheetos popcorn. It's a Cheetos thing. Hands up, we had hammer pants. <laughs> Nobody? Really? <laughs> I thought you'd well, say it was yes. Of the era. I'm just waving goodbye to everybody right now. Have a good night, everyone. You had two hands up. So you had two pairs. <laughs> good night, all.